Welcome to PBC Talks. If you would like to find out more information, please visit pbc.org.uk. So last night we had an amazing evening at Davenport Golf Club, an absolute packed golf club, coming to here and an amazing, amazing man. So to this morning, um, things are a little bit different. We don't have a sermon, but we're going to have um, an informal conversation with Bryn. We're going to hear a bit of his music, hear his testimony and how God's been working in his life um, ever since he became a Christian uh, in the 70s. So this man is an incredible musician, an excellent guitarist known for his slide guitaring. He is a real man of God. So let's give it up for Bryn Howard. <laughs> So Bryn, it's fantastic to have you here. Um, Bryn's uh, had an incredible um, career playing with people like Led Zeppelin. Um, I didn't play with them. I was on the same bill. <laughs> <laughs> it's good enough for me. <laughs> um, people like Chris DeBerg, Joan Armour Trading, etc., etc. Incredible career. So um, let's start from the basics. Um, you grew up in Blackburn. What was life like there? Well, I, I was actually, uh, I grew up in Darwin, which is between Blackburn and Bolton, uh, and um, this small town, Darwin, it's, it's quite posh now, Darwin. It's, it used to be like the river was yellow one day, red the next, you know, green the next from the mill, you know, paper mill. And uh, it's very smoky and dirty, but um, it, it was an interesting town. There was nothing much going on, but I just, I got a guitar when I was 11. I pestered my parents uh, for about a couple of years, played tennis rackets and egg slicers, you know? Yeah, egg slicers and things like that. Anything with strings on just to uh, say I was one king. But uh, they, uh, they bought me a guitar for Christmas. And, um, Which you had to beg for. I did, basically, yeah. But the, the condition was that you can only have a guitar if you learn to play it properly. Yeah. And so they sent me to classical guitar lessons. Uh, and I went, I, I remember going up to see this guy, and he must have, he looked really old, he's probably about 50. <laughs> and he sat, he sat down, and uh, he, he about two foot away from me, and, um, and started playing this, this guitar piece called, um, it was by Ferdinand Soar, and it's called The Fire Dance, and it's a classical guitar piece, and it's like sparks were coming off him. And I just thought, man, you know, I just wanted to play pop music. I didn't know a guitar could do this, you know. And so from that point on, I was hooked, and I wanted to learn to play. Yeah, well, you certainly know how to get a sound out of a guitar, don't you? I, I it's like it. you've got a band up there. Yeah. Um, so you then got yourself down to London, sleeping in a bus station. Talk to us about that. Um, I wanted to, well, my, uh, my parents split up when I was about 13, uh, and uh, I was living at home with my dad. I had a boring job uh, in a mill, in, in a factory kind of thing, and I could see my future, you know? I could see all the older men in, in the village, in the town, sorry, and what they were doing. I thought, this is going to be me, and I cannot do it. And I just wanted to be, play music and be in a band. I was the only thing I was good at. And um, so I got on the bus at Blackburn and went down to London. Uh, this was in the mid-60s because I wanted to be in a band, and that's where you went then. And uh, slept in the bus station, Victoria bus station. During the day in Soho, there's music shops, and, and I they'd had ads for guitar players, bass players, whatever. And I would go and uh, audition. Uh, well, you had to wait a long time 
to get a gig down there. And then finally I got myself a gig in a band, and that was it. I've been playing guitar ever since. Wow. Is it, is it true that Jimi Hendrix was a fan of yours? Well, amazingly, <laughs> amazingly, he really liked a solo that I did on a song. I, record, I recorded a song with the band I was in, and he really liked it. And uh, uh, I was basically trying to copy him, but <laughs> like everybody else was. But uh, he, he really liked it. He, uh, we had a residency in a club in, in London at the time, and uh, they would come in like the Beatles and Eric Clapton and uh, Jimi Hendrix. And I always kept two guitars just in case people wanted to jam. And he bought me a drink, he brought me a rum and coke, and I said, do you want to come and jam? And he said, yeah, yeah, man. And so he took my guitar, he's left-handed, and he, and he just took my guitar, I had another one, and, uh, and played it incredibly just the same with a backward strung guitar. I couldn't believe what I was seeing, but, you know, that's one of the nice, good memories that I have about that time. It was a good, good, people were, it was really, really easy to play with all sorts of people back then. You know, um, it's not the same now. People don't tend to meet in that way anymore, musicians. But it's great when you can meet with other musicians and just jam and play. Yeah. So London was not enough. You got on the plane to, to America. Uh, and what happened there? You met your, your lovely wife, Sally. Is that right? Yeah. Eventually we met in about 72 or 3, I think it was. Yeah. 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 And what were you doing in, in America then? Is this when, when your music career um, you took off? You're raking the archives. I'm a stalker. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm good at this. <laughs> that was from one of your albums, wasn't it? In your that house. was in Nashville. <laughs> that was the Grand Arrival. I did an album 40 years ago this year uh, called The Grand Arrival. Yeah, in Nashville. Yeah. So t tell us about America then. Your time in America as a fresh musician from London. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I had no. Nobody knew me. It, at all, so it was really good in the sense that you didn't have anything to live up. You, you could make your own identity. You could be who you want, you know. And I was in a, a good rock and roll band. We had a we, we had a band called Wolfgang. We were managed by a guy who owned the Fillmore West and Fillmore East called Bill Graham, and he was our manager, which was great. So we got to rehearse. In Not Billy Graham. No, Bill Graham. No, that, that, <laughs> wow, uh, you do know the people. <laughs> Polish. He was a Polish Jew immigrant, and he had a. A great, uh, he put on all the big concerts back then, Grateful Dead and uh, Jefferson Airplane, Led Zeppelin. And we got to rehearse in his, uh, because we were managed by him in the Fillmore West uh, a lot. And uh, he put us on all these bills. But um, it was the same old story, lots of drugs and um, playing guitar, really. That was my life. And, uh, and I was enjoying, you know, I enjoyed that life. And uh, then one night, after a while, what happened was for me, I, I had a, I had a, a, I went to bed one night and I had a very powerful dream, and in this dream I had a lot of painful memories come back to me. Um, it was like a rerun, a divid, you know, rerun of your life, and uh, at the end of each uh, in, uh, scene, it would say, the voice would say, "Did you understand this?" And I would go, "Yes or no," and then it would move on to another, another, and I, I woke up about. At one o'clock in the afternoon, and, you know, and uh, I was completely devastated by this dream. And all that I knew is that I had to come back to England and get right with my dad. 
Now, I, my, my father and I uh, hated each other. We'd had fist fights before I left. It was an, it was an awful relationship. And, but I just knew. And I never thought about him at all. Never thought about him. And then from this one dream, I just knew that I had to leave the band, go back to England, and go and see my dad and start to get things right. And I did. I, I told the guys in the band, and Sally and I went back the next week, and I drove up to Darwin and knocked on the door, and he said, what do you want? <laughs> I thought, I've just left a really good band for this. <laughs> but the thing is, it was the beginning of this whole relation, just getting to, uh, I just that's the way God started to deal with me. This whole father thing was really important. And... Uh, I mean, it was never great with my dad, but boy, by the time he died, it was really, really a lot better. And that's because of God's um, influence in my life. You know, the Father has done so much for me, and we had a much better relationship by the time he died. Yeah. But that was the beginning for me. And I, I wouldn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't a believer. I didn't know any Christians. I didn't know any believers. And uh, that's how it started for me. And from then on, that was it. Was the beginning of this type of looking for something outside of this world that we mm. see. Is there a God? Yeah. If he's there, can you contact him? Can you talk to him? Does he want to talk to us? Does he want to relate to us? And so all these questions started at that point. Up until that point, I was just really interested in Les Pauls and smoking dope. <laughs> <laughs> so a, a, a full life, and but clearly not enough for you, because most people would look on your life and think, you know, it's a, um, a successful musician, he's living the high life in America, beautiful wife or girlfriend at that point. It wasn't enough for you. So t tell us about when you, you um, saw the circus tent. I love this story. Well, uh, we, we'd been uh, together, we'd been married for a year, I think it was. And um, I just made my first album for Island Records and I was waiting for it to come out. And um, I was really bored. And, uh, and uh, my wife says, why don't you start painting, do something different than music? So I got, went to the art shop and bought a paint book and some paints. And first thing that I painted was a circus tent, a red and white striped tent with a really nice face on it. And we went out for a drive that week. It, down, it was down to Eastbourne and to the coast and then coming back. In the corner of this field was this red and white striped tent. Exactly. I said, look, that's the one that I, I painted. And uh, I thought, well... This is good. Let's go in. I've never been to the circus before. So, and we went in. It turned out to be a gospel meeting. <laughs> and again, I thought, well, I've never been to a gospel meeting before. So let's sit in the back, you know, just in case. We can make a quick escape if we don't like it, you know, just nip out the back. Anyway, we stayed and we, we heard about Jesus for the first time, you know, why he'd come uh, and what he'd done for us. We'd ne we didn't know anything about Jesus. We weren't church people at all. And... Uh, and, and then the, the end of that night, it was like a Billy Graham meeting where they welcome you to the front. And if you want to welcome Jesus into your life, you come to the front. And I remember saying, I was sat at the back with, on the corner of a seat. And um, Sally was at the edge and she stood up and she said, well, are you coming? And I was, I basically, I was so gripped with fear. I was holding on to the back of the chair, holding on to her hand. And uh, before I could answer, she starts running down the aisle from the back. And I was so gripped with fear, I couldn't let go with her hand. And I couldn't let go of the chair. <laughs> so the three of us <laughs> came right from the back in this tent. It was the most uncool thing, you know. 
You know, I mean, I was a rock and roll legend. I was in my own in my own mind. You know, I was a rock. And here I was dragging this red plastic chair <laughs> to the front. So the three of us arrived, and, and all these people, nobody else came. It was just us. And it was the weirdest thing. And the guy came over to me, and he said, did you want to pray? And I said, no. <laughs> well, you know, I'd never prayed. And uh, he looked like Kevin Keegan. You remember the football guy? You know, everybody had a perm back then. And he, but in a black suit and a Bible kind of thing. And he said, well, what have you come to the front for? And I said, and it's like, you know, from, from here, my head was going, shut up, Brent, shut up, don't say anything, you'll be out of here quick. But from here, it's like this voice came out of my, my mouth saying, I need him, I need him. And my head was going, shut up, <laughs> don't say that. But the th and it basically, it just led me in a four-line prayer, you know, welcoming Jesus into my life. And I went out of that tent, and I knew that God was real. I just suddenly looked at the sky, and I thought, I'm home. I belong. You know, and, uh, and it was that thing. It's like getting online. You know, when you can't get online, you can't get connected forever. And then suddenly you get online. Well, that's what it was like for me. I know it's not like that for everybody, but for me, it was that radical. And that was the beginning of getting to know who God really is rather than who I'd imagined him to be. And it's mm -hmm. this ongoing journey of God changing your mind and showing you Jesus. Because when we look at him, we see the Father. We see the nature, the character of this God of love. Behind every great man is an even greater woman, eh? Yes. Um, so I, I guess that must have changed your writing style and, and how you how you were then looking at music from, from that point, then you'd become a Christian. What was that like? Well, I, I, my music style didn't change. Um, I still made the same kind of uh, guitar, electric-y, bluesy. And I, I was always quite Catholic. I was in my taste. I, I loved folk music. I loved uh, mandolins and anything. I just loved music. I was brought up like that. Uh, but um, I suddenly had some a new dimension to sing about. You know, the, when I looked at the stars, I thought, I know who made them. And when I looked at a tree, I thought, this is incredible. I mean, this has been here longer than me. This is extraordinary. You know, <laughs> I became a, a just just fascinated by the, by God's creation, and and also then I started to see that He's created us, that He loves us. And that, uh, that we are his highest creation. And, and you suddenly think, wow, that he loves us. And that uh, you suddenly want to communicate to people. And so being a songwriter, I thought, well, I could start to write some songs. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think when I started, I was pretty upfront with my songs. I, th I think I still am in a way. But um, it, it caused a bit of a stir back then, you know, in the early 70s, because there wasn't any Christians around, really, making this kind of music, signed to secular record labels. And so it, it made people a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. But I'm, And that's fine, you know, it's, it's not supposed to calm everybody. Mm. It's, a, it's a message, it's a challenging message. Were, were you ever put on the spot with people asking about your faith in in front of these stars and in front of people that you'd looked up to. It, did, you, did you ever have a moment where you had to, you know, say, I'm a Christian? <clears throat> oh, well, all, yeah, all the time. Yeah, really, because, uh, yeah, I mean, if they didn't ask me, I'd tell them. 
you know. <laughs> but the thing, I got much called the rock and roll vicar and all sorts of things, and some people really didn't like it, but some people did. And um, I mean, I was probably over the top a, a, a bit in the beginning, which you do. You kind of go around telling everybody, but but and then you suddenly realize there's ways of, of telling people, like doing your work really well. <laughs> and then you get into conversation, people. If you, if you get on and keep your mouth shut and play, uh, do what you do well, as well as you can, the people are going to start talking to you anyway, and uh, things come up. But um, uh, in the middle of, uh, you know, uh, sessions with, uh, with people, you know, like we say with Jerry Rafferty, I played with him quite a lot, and uh, he would he loved to talk about spiritual things, and so... I would often talk about that with him, and he would. We had some great conversations. Yeah. Uh, in a minute, I want to ask you a bit more about your prisons work, and 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 after once you became a Christian, what what did your work look like? But um, what what about a song? A song. Give us a song. Okay. Thank you. So we're all dying to know who is this rebel man. <laughs> And we were all, all rebels, basically. I, I, I didn't have to try to be a rebel. Uh, I was born that way. How about you? <laughs> now I'm perfect. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> um, you are now. <laughs> so you're a man in and out of prison. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Not in a good way, though. Well, I spent one night in jail in, in Los Angeles. I've only had one night personally in jail for, for drugs. But uh, um, with, for the last 29, 30 years, we've, uh, Sally and I have had the privilege of going into prisons and taking chapel services and doing concerts for people. Uh, I've been, for, for the guys and women in, in jail, also doing Bible studies and teaching guitar, songwriting, where we... Where we can, yeah. It's, it's not really a, a place that um, that rock stars go, is it? Prisons, when uh, or voluntary on a voluntary basis. What what's your heart behind it with Sally going into well, these prisons? It's it started um, back in the the late eighties, and I, I was bit, I was really happy leading worship. Um, I led, led worship, did concerts, and things were going really really well. But I sensed that I was getting bored. You know that every now and then, I think in a Christian life, you can settle. And you know what you're doing. You know your thing. This is how you do it. And uh, I, I, just, I just sense, and I wrote a song called Give Me Your Heart. And my songs tend to be quite prophetic in, in my own life, in my future life. And my wife groaned when I wrote this one, you know, Give Me Your Heart, because it talked about being cold in my heart. And I didn't really care about things. And I thought, no, I, want, I, need, I need to just move out. And I was looking into ministry to Jesus, and I was looking through the scriptures, and every time I came across 20, uh, Matthew 25, 36, I was in prison, and you visited me. There's a list of things that the sheep and the goats, you know, that the sheep were doing. They didn't even know they were doing it, ministering to Jesus, but they were getting on with it and doing it. And uh, I thought, oh, I'd love to go into prison. And then I suddenly, I would talk myself out of it. I'd go, yeah, but... You know, I'd say, oh, well, what am I going to do? I don't know anybody in prison. I don't know um, 
I'm just a musician, what would I do when I got there? So I taught myself how to forget about it. But this scripture kept coming back. And the incredible thing was is that Sally and I went on staff in the, the first vineyard church in England, was in southwest London, uh, uh, in Putney. And uh, basically, we went on staff. As I was the, the staff worship leader for three days a week. And, uh, and the thing that, that Pastor John, I mean, we, at the time, John Mumford and Ellie Mumford, all the, we just had a house group. And he said, all right, I want you to start the worship ministry, train up uh, musicians to play and sing worship, uh, and also start a prison ministry. I mean, we're just a house crew, right? <laughs> this is 1990, uh, 90, yeah, 89, 88, kind of thing. I went, right, okay. And there's no books written how to start a prison ministry. <laughs> so I just called up all the prisons in London and I said, hi, my name is So-So. I go to this church, the vineyard. Can we come in? And they all said no, except for this one church army chaplain in Wandsworth Prison in London. And he said, yeah, yeah, you come in, and I'll show you what happens. And so we went in on a Wednesday night and did the, the chaplaincy hour, 6 o'clock till 7. And he showed me what was going on. And then as we were going out, he said, right, you do it next week. <laughs> so I had to gather together hastily gather together a, a trembling team of people and I had to look like I knew what I was doing but I didn't know what I was doing at all and uh, so we went in the next week and I did uh, a couple of worship songs um, and then I did some uh, testimony songs on my own and then after half an hour I'd run out of stuff to do and I looked at the girls who were with, with me, and uh, the brave women came with me. And I said, what are we going to do? I said, uh, and this one girl said, does anybody here need prayer? <laughs> and all the hands shot up, you know. So we were off. And basically, that's what we've been doing for the, the last 30, 29 years, is that kind of leaving enough time for prayer ministry at the end of an hour meeting, not filling it up with waffle and music, you know, but making sure that they get the ministry of the Holy Spirit to them, because that's what they come for. They need yeah. him, you know. And uh, and it's been going on like that since. So do you find it the inmates are quite open to Christianity and, and hearing about the God that you, that you give your life to? How do they receive it in there? And well, it's a terrible thing to lose your freedom in it's an awful thing, you know, to lose your freedom, be cut off from your family as well. So a lot of people just come, they come for many, about two or three different reasons to a chapel service in the morning. They'll come just to get out of their cells because they've been banged up for like 23 out of 24 hours a day in a cell for two or three. And in this hot weather, you can imagine that, what that's like. And then, so they come out to get some air just to walk into a into the chapel have an hour service some just come along to meet up with their friends their cronies who, who are in an opposite wing so they never get to see so there's all sorts of like little deals going on you can see <laughs> and there's usually a, a few uh, quite a few prison officers around ready for anything that can happen because things can happen and and then there's the ones who genuinely have come with a spiritual need and they, some, there's quite a lot of Christians in prison. Is that surprising? 
There's quite a lot of believers in prison. Just I've met people who were in worship bands who just fell in with the wrong crowd and ended up in prison. You, you can tell them because they know all the songs. <laughs> and, uh, and, then, but, and then there's people, you know, for fraud and for also, or traffic violations and things like that you go to prison for. And so accidents that happen that, that actually are, you get prison sentence for. There's all sorts of different reasons for people being in prison. And uh, so they genuinely have a need. But I think the thing for me is, is that if I know that it could have been me in there, I just didn't get caught. I've done lots of things in my life, but I didn't co get caught. They did. And so I don't go in with any kind of I'm better than you. I have the message, the answer kind of thing. I'm on the same level, except, you know, I'm, a, I'm one beggar to another saying there's food here. You know, there's food here. And I found something that can change and transform your life. And there's power to live differently, which is what the gospel is. There's power to live differently. You don't have to live this way. You have power available. It's not about willpower. Christianity, you will sink every time if you just try willpower. It's the power of the Spirit in your life that brings the change, and you cooperating with the power, person of the Holy Spirit. That's what brings transformation. And so I sing songs like New Identity and talk about who we are now in Christ, and that you're not this person, you are that person. This is who God says you are, you know. And you start to teach them about the Word of God and believing, and in essence, really knowing. And believing the love of the Father is the key to the good life. Mm. That's what we get to them. Just to get them to see to who they are and that they're loved and to believe that by the Father. And that starts to... I mean, I'm here in response to what the Father's... into the Father's love and what he's given. He's given me so much. I, you know, we love because he first loved us. That's why I'm here. Mm. That's what I do. Yeah, I just live in response to his love. Yeah. I know how much I've been loved, how much I'm forgiven or every day. And uh, that's what I want to share with people. Mm. What a powerful message for people who are, are in prison, cha challenging their identity and, and uh, giving them their true identity. Have, yeah. you, have you got any stories of when the spirit really moved in prison and you saw the power of God touch down in those prisons through um, yourself and Sally's ministry? Well, the, the, this, we've seen a lot, quite a lot of physical healings in prison because uh, the, the access to a doctor or a dentist is, is quite hard to get. If you're in prison, you've got physical problems. You need prayer. You need help. And, and surprisingly, in the chapel is where it all happens, you know, because the kingdom of heaven, like Jesus taught us, how heaven works on earth, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus was teaching, how heaven works on earth and how this thing, this is what this church was born for, to bring heaven to earth and do the works of Jesus. And so uh, when people come forward and uh, you have time just to ask, you'll probably get, you can get a queue of about 40 people and there's only like two of us. And so you only have time to ask the name of the person, what is it you want prayer for? And sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's about the family, but sometimes in the physical ones uh, you see uh, so I'm, you know, people with cancer or people with uh, liver disease, things, you know, teeth problems and stuff like that. And you can just lay hand. You do Jesus prayers like, a, you know how we pray for healing, like two words? 
<laughs> or three words, really short prayers are great. You know, just put your hand on the, the condition and speak to the condition and tell it to stop in Jesus' name. And that's all you got. And then they move off. And then I remember this one time, uh, I prayed for this guy with liver disease and came back the next uh, month to the same prison. And he, he was at the back of the room. I was setting up. And he says, are you the man who prayed for me? He was from Nigeria. And he came, <laughs> and he came running to the front. He says, I, after you prayed, he says, I was completely healed. I was going for an operation wow. the next day. And I was completely healed. The doctor said, and he said, and, and I have become a believer. Hey. <laughs> and now he's the main evangelist right down on his whole wing. You know, he's dragging <laughs> people to the chapel all the time. But... Um, you know, there's, there's, and then so that gave me great confidence. So I saw the next prison that I went to, I said, is there anybody here with liver disease? <laughs> <laughs> well, you would, wouldn't you? And lo and behold, there was one there. And so I prayed for him and exactly the same thing happened. You know, it's great, you know, when you get, I mean, I know you don't always get instant results or answers, but, but when you do, it's very encouraging. So the thing is to keep going until you get, get one. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, you really encourage you to keep going again, but don't give up. After your first 200, you know, <laughs> just keep going. Keep praying for people. And don't make it long. <laughs> oh, I, I could sit here all day and listen to stories of God moving and, and, and using in ordinary people. Um, you know we're studying um, our new series called Guardians of the Galaxy, looking at stewardship. You're clearly a man who's um, who is living his life for Christ and, and being a servant. Could you just talk, and I know you mentioned you'd written a song all about stewardship and, and giving it all back to God. I wonder if you could touch on that. Well, I mean, music is, is, is not a... If you want final, financial security in life, don't be a musician. Okay? It's very rare. It's very few people actually make a, a living at music. You always have to be able to do other things. But um, so every <laughs> and, uh, every January, I'll be sitting in my, my room playing away, you know, um, and Sally would come in and she put this piece of paper on my desk and, and say, this is how much we need this year, right? Financially, this is how much we need. This, you pray and it will come. And then she'd walk out and shut the door. And I've been going, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. It's like a massive figure. I mean, it's not massive, but it's just like, it looks a lot when you, you know, in the January, when you've got no, nothing in the diary, you know. And uh, so I prayed, and pray, I'll pray, I thought, God, you know. And, uh, and incredibly, glory to God, the finances would always come in. It's been like that for 40-odd years. Isn't that good? I think it's great. <laughs> we think it's great. And all, the, you know, all we're doing is seeking the kingdom of God as best we can. You know, I'm not saying that we're perfect like Will. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. You won't get it. <laughs> I'm trying to raise my level to the standard of this man here. Once I've achieved that, that I'll be a happy man. But... Um, uh, I wrote a song, I was going through the book of, uh, I was reading Isaiah at the time, and, and there were some words from Isaiah just jumped out at me. I thought, well, this is on the subject, and I thought, well, I better pray. Uh, I just better put this to music, and, uh, and I played this song uh, privately for many, many years. I never let it out of the room, 
It was just for me. Because sometimes you write songs that are just for you. They're not for other people. It's between you and God. And so I've got quite a few of those, <laughs> which I like. You know, it's very intimate. So I'll play that one. That'll be great. Let's give him a, a big hand. Bryn, just before you go, it'd be great to pray for you. I don't know if uh, Martin Baker, uh, are you, would you mind coming up and praying for Bryn? Is that okay? <laughs> I knew you'd be the man. <laughs> oh, Lord, thank you for this man. That song just resonated with me and with a lot of people here because of my journey that I've been on with cancer last year and the way that the God's Holy Spirit came to me that night and blessed me in a supernatural way, took all the fear from me and filled me with his Holy Spirit that carried me through all my treatment from Christie's Hospital to Macclesfield Hospital to two major operations and all that went on before me. Uh, after that, and I just praise the Lord for that. And Bryn, praise you for your work. Praise the Lord for that song that, that was so intimate to you and you shared it with us. So, Lord, thank you for Bryn. Thank you for his wife. Thank you for the ministry. And what a blessing we've had this morning. It's just wonderful, you know, that, uh, it, that, that God can just use ordinary people in such powerful, powerful ways. So, Bryn, just, I ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, to just bless you and keep you. May his light shine upon you now and always, Lord. And as Bryn said, keep prayers simple. Keep them direct. So, Lord, just fill him with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. listening to this week's talk. Join us next week for another inspirational message.